More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. All right, second hour of Clay and Buck kicks off now. Andy McCarthy is with us of National Review and Fox News. 20-plus years, federal prosecutor, Southern District of New York. Andy, <laughs> Andy, I feel like I haven't talked to you in about two days. So what, what, do, you, what do you see here, man? I mean, this, so this one comes down just first. It, you know, the indictment was posted before it was done. What do you make of that? Is there any issue there that creates for this process? And then just the 98 pages, I mean, what sticks out to you? What are your biggest takeaways right now? Yeah, I don't think much of the um, the misfiling or the mispublication by the clerk's office. I think I didn't either. We, but, could, yeah. probably did, yeah, we could probably deduce that that's part of why they stayed so late. They didn't want that to be a continuing story. They wanted to just like sort of get on with it. But I don't think it'll amount to anything. As far as the... The case is concerned. I just think that, you know, I, I had an open mind about this because um, in our system, it's really up to the um, to the states to police elections and uh, to carry out elections. So I thought that she would have a better array of statutes uh, than Jack Smith did in trying to like so, sort of force a federal uh election interference case on using statutes that really aren't designed to police elections. Um, and there is, you know, I, I think there is some of that in her indictment, but I think by and large, she makes a big mistake going the RICO route. I don't really, I know she says that she's had experience in that regard. I don't, I don't grasp here or I don't get here uh, reading this, that she has a great grasp on, on what RICO is and why you use it. But it just seems to me that, um, the big hole in her case, and I'm talking specifically about count one, the 71-page, 160-something uh, acts of uh, overt acts of conspiracy, which is the framework she wants people to understand the uh, her, her case in. Um, I think the problem that she has is any good prosecutor would want just a plain old conspiracy, like straight line. Conspiracy is just... Uh, two or more people agree to do something that is a crime under federal uh, under the 
penal law of the jurisdiction. Um, and the problem is the objective here of this of this kind of rambling group that she's put together as if it were one entity, uh, the objective was to retain Trump in office, which in and of itself is not a crime. And that's not a problem she can make go away by trying to turn the thing into a RICO as opposed to, you know, some other kind of a conspiracy. So how much jeopardy do you think Trump is in? in you know, what you've given us, I think, is right your assessment of the legal realities of this as it pertains to what should be the case. But she's brought this. There's a lot of people, I think 18 other people, including uh, 18 other people other than Trump. Um, do you think Trump should be... His, should his team be concerned? I mean, it feels like he can't get pardoned on this one. At least he can't pardon himself. Right. It's not federal. You know, uh, did, is your is it? You wrote the piece right in uh, the New York Post that this one this one is concerning in terms of the the threat to the legal threat to Trump or no? Yeah, I did. And uh, what I said the the headline on that column didn't quite match up with what I argued. What I said was it's not so much the most perilous threat to Trump as it is the most enduring threat to Trump. And I don't mean to be legalistic uh, in in that distinction. It's it's not so much the strength of the case. It's the thing you just referred to. If he gets convicted here of anything, and he's, you know, there's 41 counts counts here. I don't know how many he's charged in off the top of my head. It's probably like six or seven or more. Um, But, you know, if he gets convicted on any of these counts, even if I don't think much of the RICO count, he not only runs the risk of uh, a prison sentence, he can't be pardoned. You know, so with the federal stuff, there's a the way that he is confronting those cases. There's an element of delay seeking in his strategy because he knows if he can push the cases far enough into next year and and potentially beyond, then if a Republican, whether it's Trump or not, wins the election. Uh, you either have the Justice Department dismiss the case or if he, you know, if he's been convicted in one of those cases by then, uh, if he wins, he can pardon or a Republican president can pardon. Um, here, he can't do that. If he gets convicted, that's, you know, it, it's not something he can shake off. So how do you how do you think this plays out, Andy? <laughs> what did, Does the trial get done before the election? And uh, do you think that some of the I mean, she wants to try them all at once. Also, how does Trump plus the 18? How does that play out? Well, I tried uh, actually uh, I was the junior member of the team when I was a young prosecutor on what I think remains the longest federal criminal prosecution in American history. 17 months, uh, the pizza connection case Uh, It was a, a, a mafia organized crime international racketeering case um, where we started out with 22 defendants and ended with 19. Um, Some of them were lost to natural causes, some not. Um, But, you know, it's a a, the reason the case took 17 months is if you tried any, you know, one or four or five of them, you could have done it in a finite period of time, maybe. But, uh, you know, if you're going to do all of them in one case, that takes a long time. And the other thing here, Buck, is that um, She's indicted a bunch of lawyers here. (laughs) Those lawyers are going to make like a million motions. Um, So her, you know, I heard uh, her say that uh, she expects to be able to get this case to trial in six months. I'm like, good luck. Um, I don't think there's a prayer that she's going to get this case to to trial in six months. I think there's going to be mammoth litigation here. 
Uh, and I, I also think that, you know, the litigation is not going to be just to, to churn, you know, just to, to spin everyone's wheels. There's problems with this case. Uh, and I think there's a good chance that some of the counts will stick, uh, but some of the counts may not, including the RICO count, which I think is, is rickety. Um, and I think there's kind of a disconnect between the strength of the case and the notoriety of the defendants that she has targeted. So, for example, I think the strongest counts that I – what I've been able to study of the indictment so far, I think, like, for example, hacking into the state election system is – that's the kind of thing I expected to see here, you know, a, a crime that's directly uh, related to the state's duty to protect election integrity, that they don't really have a federal analog. It's not the kind of thing that Smith could have charged, but she can charge because she's the state uh, DA. Right. But there's very little evidence that Trump's involved in that, you know, so it just seems to me like the stronger the counts get to me, the less complicity there seems to be with the main people that she's uh seeking headlines on here. Andy, I'm just curious. I mean, I think sometimes this, uh, you know, doing a little um, sitting across the chessboard can be an interesting exercise. If you were a power-mad Democrat prosecutor and you were trying to get Trump in this Georgia case, right, if you were taking over and your mandate in life was anything to get a conviction of Donald Trump, any kind of conviction, would you have left off all the other 18, left off the RICO? Like, what... What would have been the the smarter pathway from her perspective? Where she just clearly wants a a guilty verdict against him. Yeah, well, actually, I think it may be worse than that. I think she mainly wanted to to indict the case. Uh, I'm oh, not just to indict. Okay, yeah, yeah. It, well, because I think you know we talked about the the pardon as part of the you know it's a it's a quirk of state prosecutions versus the federal that you know he can't pardon this. The other quirk of state prosecutions, I think, that we always have to keep our eyes on, and I say this especially with Bragg, uh, these are elected Democrats who happen to, hold, to be district attorneys, right? They're not like prosecutors who are appointed in the federal system where, at least in theory, you get vetted by the Senate to make sure you're not going to use your awesome law enforcement power to go after your political enemies. Here, going after your political enemies is good politics in these blue cities. Right. And she gets a lot of points just by bringing this case. But if I were going to go after Trump, I think the reason she brings the RICO is she she wanted to bring – this is like the fantasy case for Democrats, right? They're all racketeers, and they, she's thrown right. in everyone they hate, right? She's, she's, going for the, she's going for the home run on this one, Andy, right? I mean, she's swinging yeah. – but the only way she figured she could have could hang that together is to bring it as a RICO. If you wanted to convict Trump, then you boil the case down to the few things that Trump did that you can pin on him and focus on that. And maybe you'd have a prayer of getting the case to the trial, even if his dance guard wasn't already pretty full with other engagements. But I don't think you know this is this is not designed. This is designed for. Uh, election campaign i got you so so swinging for the fences here like going for the high you know get going all in top count rico and everything else the victory in essence for the prosecutor here given it's a political system and a political uh you know political system that puts her there in the first place is you brought the highest possible like no matter what it's upside for fanny willis at this point right i mean politically speaking yeah i think you know she didn't bring Jack Smith brought the um, the best case progressive legal charges against Trump. Right. This is kind of like more like if Jen Psaki wrote the in, wrote criminal charges rather than a lawyer. You know, this is like 
the Democrat version of what the post-2020 election was all about. Do you think there's a real a real risk that they could, you know, there's so many, I mean, I was reading them at the top of the show, Andy, there's so many of these counts, but things like, uh, you know, forgery in the first degree, false statement in writing, these things appear... Could the, you know, the problem with the Florida case for Trump, it seems to all of us, is even if you think the documents were fine for him to have or whatever and put that aside, I don't think you do think the documents were fine for him to have. But even if they were, the way he reacted to that, the, the process may be a part of his problem there. Right. Is that that's fair to say? Is, is there yeah. anything like that here that could jam Trump up, meaning that the big stuff they go, no, he's not guilty, but like, yeah. They sign this thing and it's a sworn declaration and now we've got, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I, I think that um, we're all going to need to sort of digest this a little more than I've been able to. But I feel that going through this so far, every place I've kicked the tires, I've found problems. I've never been blown away by the, uh, the fake electors thing. The fake electors thing to me is just like uh, it's the Russia, it's the... Um, Post-2020 election equivalent of what in Russiagate they used to complain about all the time about Trump supposedly uh, telling telling Putin that he should hack Hillary. You know, like, if you're listening, Russia, I hope that you, you know, find the, the 30,000 emails. Oh, yeah, 20, the 2016. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that was like the stupidest. I mean, even Mueller repeated it in his indictments, and I always thought it was the stupidest claim because, like, by the time he said that, first of all, he was obviously just trying to show, you know, draw attention to how reckless she had been with national security information. But by then, like, the FBI had Hillary's servers. There was no way they could have been hacked. You know, the whole thing was stupid. But they repeated it again and again and again. And I think the fake electors, to me, has been is, a, is akin to that in the sense that you guys remember January 6th as well as I do. The fake electors were not a thing. You know, they read in the um, in these indictments a lot bigger and bolder. It's the same thing in the January 6th committee hearings. They're a lot bigger issue in the retelling than they were at the time. Nobody believed those people were certified state electors. I, you know, if there hadn't been a riot, I don't think it would have, you know, it wouldn't have taken 10 seconds if somebody was stupid enough to raise the, you know, the contention that they were legitimate electors that would have been given the back of the hand in nothing flat. So, you know, to treat that like it's the crime of the century, which seems to be uh, the objective here, I've always thought that, like, those people, let's put a couple of knuckleheads in the in the Trump uh, strategy team aside, that the people in the states thought that they were not fake electors. They thought they were contingent electors. Their idea was that if Trump managed to get the thing overturned in the state courts or in the legislature, then they stood ready to be the slate of electors uh, if the election result got legitimately overturned. But nobody in Washington thought on you know on January sixth that they were legitimate electors. So you know I, I just think if that's what you're hanging your hat on, I, I, as a juror, I would have a hard time with that. You think that Trump is in? Whenever these trials actually happen, do you think he's in pretty good shape to beat all four? Man, it's it, what's he up to now? Hundred and twenty counts? Something? Like well, no, yeah. I guess what's it? Some, I mean, it's it was eighty going into this one, right? And he's is he in like six or seven or eight here? So you know, I mean, it's hard to beat every single count, and there is stuff that went on here that they may be able to say, you know, state 
conspiracy law tends to be not as prosecutor friendly as federal conspiracy law does. Um, but if if this were a federal case, uh, I would I would argue that Trump would have a big problem if you get like a good state crime, like they got access, like they hacked into the state system, say, and they got access to the voter information. And there was ev- any evidence that Trump had either green lighted that or that he knew about it and sort of like nodded and said, yeah, that's a good idea or, or something like that. Right. Then he'd have a problem, you know, and there's so many counts. You don't know. It's hard to say off the top of your head, you know, which what kind of of all the things he's been charged with, what falls into that category? This was my concern, too, Andy, because I remember from government days, things like official misuse of computer sounds very administrative yeah. and whatever. But it's kind of a you did or you didn't. And if they decide to throw the book at you, it can actually be really nasty. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's what strikes me about this indictment so far is that the more puny the charges seem to sound, the more strong they probably are because they're really, you know, state election law stuff. Whereas the more grandiose, like the big RICO conspiracy that gets everyone in, I am so like underwhelmed by that. Uh, yeah. I can't tell you. All right. Andy McCarthy, everybody. Andy, we'll keep you on speed dial. Thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. Great to be with you. More and more people are speculating on whether we'll hear an announcement from our federal government sometime this year about a central bank digital currency. According to former Wall Street insider Tika Tawari, the government could soon announce the details, which may go as far as a mandatory recall on the U.S. dollar. A new digital version would take place of it. Tika Tawari's warning the official announcement could come in just the next few months. He's laid out this government plan in a video that shows you three steps that you need to take to prepare. Go online to his website, dollarrecall.com. Watch this video that the government doesn't want you to see, dollarrecall.com. Learn how to prepare before it's too late. Your life savings is at stake here if things get bad. Once more, it's dollarrecall.com, paid for by Palm Beach Research Group. Keeping it real, keeping it honest. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. I had mentioned Kemp before, uh, the governor of Georgia, and I didn't get to it there with Andy. I am sorry about that. I meant to, um, but I will tell you right now, in response to that Trump truth, uh, which is like a tweet, which I guess is now called an X or something or a post. Uh, anyway, it's tough to keep up. Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, in the last hour, in response to Donald Trump directly, shared this on Twitter. It's already been seen over a million times. The 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen. For nearly three years now, anyone with evidence of fraud has failed to come forward under oath and prove anything in a court of law Our elections in Georgia are secure, accessible, and fair, and will continue to be as long as I am governor. The future of our country is at stake in 2024, and that must be our focus. What do you think about that? That's the governor of Georgia. We will um, address that, my friends, coming back here in just a moment. That's, uh, That's a shot across the bow. The team at MyPillow does a lot of things right. High among them, producing top-quality products at amazing values. One of those products is their Giza Dream Sheets. These are the very comfortable sheets made with the softest cotton found in the Giza region of Egypt, which is where you produce some of the best cotton in the world. 
MyPillow's Giza Dream sheets are back in stock and on sale. $29.98. They start at $29.98. When you use promo code Clay and Buck, get your first pair of Giza Dream sheets. If you already have one, it's time to get a second or a third pair even because these are the only sheets you're going to want to sleep on. I sleep on Giza Dream sheets here at home. They're phenomenal. Honestly, the quality is just fantastic. My brother's got Giza Dream sheets. My parents have Giza Dream sheets. Go online now. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on Radio Listener Specials. Check out their sale on the Giza Dream sheets. Use code Clay and Buck. That's code Clay and Buck at MyPillow.com or call 800-793-2269. Yeah, so Kemp came out and just straight up said there was no fraud in Georgia, no meaningful fraud in the election. Uh, friends, let's just... Let's just call this what it is. I mean, he's he's uh, saying, you know, Trump, you're on your own. Um, you made your bed, you sleep in it. I mean, there is, man, I, <laughs> there is no love lost between these two. That is for sure. Um, you would think that given the stakes here uh, and what's going on for the country, that perhaps uh, the, the personal animus might take a back seat. But as you see all throughout history with powerful men, um, powerful people uh, ego can be quite a driver of things uh, between individuals whether it's you know generals in a time of war or you name it so yeah kemp is not helping trump out that i think is quite clear and in fact is effectively saying that um I mean, he's he's calling trump can we just be he's calling trump a liar that's what he's doing he's saying trump is lying uh about the election trump has put out in, uh, in his Truth Social post, that there's going to be a press conference on Monday, this coming Monday, um, and uh, obviously we'll have to wait and see what's in that. I don't know what he's going to say. Uh, my assumption is based on what Trump has already put forward that it's supposed to show definitively that there was a lot of fraud or even some fraud. Or even a reasonable belief, reasonable belief of some of the fraud that he thought happened or that was thought by the Trump team to have happened in Georgia would seem to invalidate certainly this whole RICO charge and uh, all the stuff that you're seeing now thrown at Trump plus the, uh, is it the Trump 18 now? Trump plus 18. Uh, other defendants, Rudy Giuliani, they, they're going after Rudy. They're going after Jenna Ellis. They're going after Mark Meadows former White House chief of staff. So, yeah. When was the last time a Democrat had all the people who worked for him, including a a powerful Democrat in elected office, had all the people working for him, including his attorneys, indicted? Think about that for a second. The attorneys are all big. You would think that they would know something about the law and whether or not they are breaking it, but you are to believe that all these different attorneys were putting their careers and their freedom on the line based on what they knew to be a crime at the time. I, I think about that. I just, I don't buy it. Right. That, that doesn't, that doesn't hold up. That doesn't make sense. Uh, what do you think about it? Well, let's take some of your calls here. We have, uh, Bill in Michigan. Bill, what's going on? Hey, not much. On my way up to the Upper Peninsula, and what a perfect segue into my comments. 
is Brian Kemp. Republicans are whiners. Democrats are winners. Where are the Republicans? Where's Kevin McCarthy? Where's Mitch McConnell? Chuck Grassley. You occasionally hear from Ron Johnson or Jim Jordan. You will never hear a Democrat stray from the party and from their talking points. It's pathetic. It's been going on for too long. And the Republicans, I'm just thinking they just don't care. It's easier for them to follow than it is for them to lead. And unfortunately, the country is in dire straits, and no one, including our Republican leadership, cares. Thank you. Uh, thank you for calling in. And I, I do think that um, I, I think that this is a big problem that Republicans have, is that within our own side, there is a lack of understanding of the big picture and what's really at stake. There are a lot of people who are still desperate on the right for a pat on the head from the New York Times, so to speak. They want to be what they want that strange newfound respect of some libs of prominence to say, well, he's one of the good ones or she's one of the, the truth tellers. And then they just use you for a little bit to undermine everything that the right is trying to accomplish in this country, which is really the salvation of this country from the destructive Democrat lunatics. And you, you start to say, why is it that there's, there's no fear among Democrats that when push comes to shove, uh, Democrats won't be there for each other on the really important stuff. And on our side, <laughs> I think it's a fair point. I think we see it playing out a lot. Um, Mark in San Antonio's got some thoughts. Mark, what's going on? Hi there. Yeah, I've actually have been infuriated with a lot of what's been going on with the Democrats, the deep state, all that. Um, however, I finally stumbled across something that I that suddenly helped things make sense and frankly made it easier to predict what they were going to do next. And while I appreciate everything you've been doing to explain kind of the rationale and the merits behind the legal side and the political implications of, of what these operatives are doing, the DA and all that. Um, I think we need to look, look at this through the lens of a crime Lord and, and a criminal cartel. And specifically, for example, if, you know, Christians look at things as, you know, what would, in this case, what would Jesus do? Well, I think we need to look at the same way with the Democrats and the deep state is if, Pablo Escobar was in their shoes, or Al Capone, pick a crime lord. What would they do if they controlled the DA's office, if they had associates that controlled the voting machines, if they had associates that controlled the media? What would a crime lord do in this particular situation? And suddenly a lot of the things that they've already done seem to make a lot more sense, and a lot of the things that they may do in the future seem to point to very specific things um, that a crime lord would be more willing to do than everyday Americans. And I, I would encourage you to kind of take a look at it through that filter, because when you look at it through the through the eyes of a criminal, suddenly a path forward is a lot more apparent. And it's it's a little a little frightening. Yeah. Well, OK, Mark, thanks for calling in from San Antonio. Um, I, I do think that. As you'll notice something. And I swear I've been a person who for over a decade now has I have been screaming. Those of you who listen to me 
when I was doing a Saturday show even at, at the Blaze for uh, for Glenn Beck's The Blaze, you guys remember, I would say the process is the punishment, the weaponization is underway, and I would rattle off all of these cases, these important cases of Republicans under legal assault on for totally unjust reasons other than we can take this guy out. We can take him out right now. Let's abuse the law. Let's lie. Let's cheat. But we can use the law to take him out. What is the ultimate power that you can see in a place where there are, there is no rule of law? I don't like you. I throw you in prison. Because not only do you have a lack of uh, freedom, I mean, you're, you're incarcerated at that point, but also there's uh, imputed into that or, or not just implied. I mean, clearly there's a, a sense of, you're the bad person because you're the one who's in prison. You know, if people don't understand the full depth of how corrupted the system has been, or even worse, and I think this is the case in our country, a big part of the American people, now a big chunk of the American people, are on board for all this, and they want all of this, right? So they're never going to see it through the lens of uh, the weaponization of legal process. But I sit here and I, I put out this challenge. This is what I, I used to do this, uh, original Saturday squad, OSS. Some of you will remember this. I would say, okay, let's think of Republicans who have been unfairly targeted for purely political purposes. Prominent. I don't mean, you know, local dog catcher. No offense to dog catchers. Although I do love dogs. So hopefully they're very nice to them. Um, but is that even a, does that even a job anymore? Are there dog catchers? I feel like that's not even a thing. Probably people running shelters that are trying to get dogs into nice homes. Anyway, um, have this experiment play out. Sit there and say to yourself, how many times have they gone after, for the last decade, they've gone after Republicans? You have uh, Scott Perry in Texas. Look what they tried to do to him um, for doing his job. You have uh, Scott Walker in Wisconsin. John, Do- Go Google the John Doe investigations. It was Stalinist what they were doing. They were not only raiding people's homes at 6 a.m. to take their computers and their phones and everything, uh, they were then gagging them publicly from speaking about it under a law meant to protect rape victims. But they abused it to go after Scott Walker's team under the, he was, there was coordination with a pack. Imagine someone shows up at your home at 6 o'clock in the morning, armed men with guns, long guns, rifles, tactical gear. Bang, bang, bang at the door, knocking on the door, not shooting. Um, you know, we're here to take all your stuff. Why? Because some Democrat operative politician and prosecutor says that you talk to somebody who talked to somebody who's running a pack. Yeah, that's what they were doing. Chris Christie, Bridgegate. I know a lot of you are unhappy with Chris Christie. Put that aside for a second. They try, they, he was at one point a contender. He was at one point tight with Trump, but they try to take him out under a traffic jam that some of his underlings created. Um, Bob McDonald, I've been screaming about the Bob McDonald case. I said, look, look at this. Prosecuted a possible presidential contender for the Republicans for not actually doing anything. He didn't do anything. Accepted gifts. His wife was like, oh, thank you for the Rolex from a, from a rich businessman. Go to prison for that. What? Yeah. Uh, obviously, Donald Trump, Russia collusion, and now what we see with all the cases against him. Ted Stevens, exculpatory evidence hidden by federal prosecutors. They knew Ted Stevens was innocent, and they hid it. 
And as a matter of fact, as a matter of public record, one of the prosecutors ended up committing suicide because his legal career was over as a result of this. But they wanted to take out Ted Stevens. That then led to a Democrat winning that Senate seat, led to Obamacare. They play for keeps. They have been doing this and setting the... I'm probably leaving some off, by the way, and I know I am, but those are just the ones that come to mind right away. What's the Democrat equivalent? Who are the Democrats that didn't do anything wrong but were facing years in prison because some prosecutor was doing justice? Yeah, think about that one for a second. The most energetic people are often the ones who get the most amount done in the course of a day. It's one of the reasons we're happy that so many members of this audience have started to rely on Chalk's Vitality Stack for everyday energy. Chalk is a Texas-based company making best-in-class, all-natural supplements specifically formulated to provide nutrients that fuel energy and stamina. Their male vitality stack is a perfect example of that. The leading ingredient has been proven in studies to increase testosterone levels in men by just 20% in by up to 20% in three months' time. That matters because testosterone is the fuel that gives you the stamina, drive, energy, and focus you need for a fuller day. Get yourself set up with Chalk. Go to Chalk.com. That's C-H-O-Q.com. Save 35% off any Chalk subscription you choose for life when you use my name, Buck, in your purchase process. That's Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com. Promo code Buck, B-U-C-K, for 35% off. The Clay and Buck Podcast Deep Dives with cool content, surprise guests. Get it all on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. We got a lot to get to still here. Many of your VIP emails are coming in. Go to clayandbuck.com to sign up, become a VIP. If you sign up for the year, you will get a copy of Clay's best-selling book, and we got to keep selling more and more, so it becomes a number one bestseller. American Playbook. Uh, you'll get a signed copy of it as a Clay and Buck VIP. So please go to clayandbuck.com for that. And uh, we have uh, Sarab Amari, who some of you will know from his time at the Wall Street Journal editorial, uh, as an editorial writer for the Wall Street Journal. Um, he's got a new book out, Tyranny Incorporated. And uh, we're going to talk to him in the back half of the next hour. Uh, we're going to do a little more on what's going on here with, the fourth indictment against Trump coming up. Take some more of your calls on that as well. Uh, there's a bunch of VIP emails wanted to get to. We have Steve who writes in, where's the federal aid to Maui? Navy, Coast Guard, and hospital ships. What about hiring cruise ships to house and feed survivors? Seriously, Joe, come on, man. Steve from Massachusetts. Steve, uh, it's a very good point, and I, I just want you all to know we haven't discussed Maui yet on the show, uh, the devastation there, the fires. We will. We have... Our friend, Will Kane, who spent a lot of time in Lahaina, or Lahaina, I'm sorry, I might be pronouncing it wrong. We spent a lot of, uh, he's, he's spent a lot of time there, and he's there now. Um, he's trying to raise money and, and awareness uh, to help the people of that community. I believe he has family who lives there. Uh, so Will Kane of Fox News is going to join us, uh, I believe, tomorrow on that. And like I said, he's on the ground, he's there, he's seeing it. So he'll tell us what's been going on. Uh, it's it's You feel terrible for the people there who lost their homes um and and people lost their lives i believe uh, almost a hundred of them so far and then uh also it just you know the devastating fires you watch this happen you think of all the places i mean you just hawaii i mean i've been to hawaii a few times it is one of the most amazing and beautiful places on the planet and you just think that you're in paradise when you're there and you know things can happen no matter where you are um that's that's 
clearly the truth. So we have uh, Mark in Augusta, Georgia. Mark, what's going on? I just wanted to let you guys know how wrong you were about Kemp. I tried to get through yesterday, but wasn't able to. Um, Kemp didn't win that election. Stacey Abrams lost it because of what she did in the All-Star game and then her efforts to defund the police. If she had just kept her mouth shut, she probably would have won Georgia. And Georgia's changed a lot over the last 10 years. And one of the main reasons it's Georgia now leans blue is an influx of northerners from, you know, in the Atlanta metro area. And then the main reason is the Democrat factory located in Athens, the University of Georgia. The UGA actively campaigns for Democrats and promotes socialism. An example is Clark County, where Athens and UGA is located. It's mostly rural except for Athens. Athens and Clark County voted 70% for Stacey Abrams and only 30% for Brian Kemp, who is from Athens and went to the University of Georgia. I mean, so when you say Kemp didn't win, I mean, obviously Kemp did win the election, and he won it the second time by a lot more than he won it by the first time. It was basically 50-48 in 2018. I think he won by seven or eight points in re-election. So Kemp won by by a lot um, the second time around. And uh, you're saying Stacey Abrams is a bad candidate. Clay's idea is the one about the V. I assume you're referring to the V. The VP. Not neither of us think that's going to happen now. (laughs) So just and it was really more a question of. What could Trump do that would help him in a swing state? Um, but I think now the rift uh, between those two couldn't be any more clear, and there's no chance of, of patching it up. Uh, so, yeah, and, I'll, and Clay can uh, address the VP thing more when he comes on because that was his idea, and I don't think I, he doesn't believe that's going to happen now either. Um, but is, is Trump going to win? If Trump's the nominee, is he going to win Georgia this time? I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what I'd ask you, sir. What do you think? I mean, he's basically an establishment Republican. Kemp has, and he always That's has. not what I asked you. I said, if Trump is the Republican nominee, is he going to win Georgia in the next election? I don't know. It'll be close. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I mean, you know, Republicans have been winning Georgia, and now they're not winning Georgia for the for the presidency, or at least it's going to be super close. So that's we got to focus on how we can change that around. I don't think the feud with Kemp and Trump is is helpful for uh, the presidential aspirations there. I'm not I'm not even saying who's to blame for it. I'm just saying it's not good. I just want us to win. I'd like to find a way to get that to happen, but Dershowitz has weighed in on this one. We'll hear some of his analysis coming up here in a few minutes, the Dersh. And uh I think some of you are going to think he's spot on and Trump's going to get through this. We'll get to that coming up. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the front lines of truth. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.